Once there was this man who had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I am going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. Not many days later, the younger son took all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. He felt so hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. The father looked off into the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him, enfolded him in an embrace, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go and get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. He was lost. He was lost. And has been found. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here. And uh, I particularly want to welcome those who would normally be in, the, in, years, in weeks past, been in the student center. We welcome you to... How, how many guys or people, I should put it that way, 6th through 12th grade in the room today? Great to have you guys with us. In these started time, we're very glad you're there as well. I already know that you had, were welcomed as well. And um, by the way, the folks in the East Auditorium, we shot off confetti cannons in there and you missed it. It was a good thing. But before, I, I, I want to kind of be serious for just a moment here before we step into the sermon this morning. And you're aware that um, this is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. And it seems appropriate that the best way in which we could remember that would be to spend some time in prayer. So I'm inviting you to pray with me at this time. Well, we have the U.S. flag up here on the stage. And we are reminded of God that some 15 years ago today, our nation was attacked viciously, without provocation, with the loss of life of more than 2,900 people. Today, Lord, there are families who think about people who they lost on 9-11-2001. Somewhere in the World Trade Center, somewhere at the Pentagon, somewhere on a plane in Pennsylvania that went down in Pennsylvania. Some, Lord, were heroes who literally ran upstairs towards chaos and eventually their death. Some people on upper floors had to make horrendous decisions about fire or their lives, and they chose extremely difficult choices, and their lives ended within a matter of seconds after a harrowing fall. We... Um, we are like the families, Lord, of those people, and we wonder, what was it like? What did those people experience? How did they manage fear and pain and confusion? 
God, as we ask those questions, knowing that the families ask the same questions, we ask that your comfort would be upon those families. We pray for our leaders who are charged with the responsibility of continuing to um, keep our nation safe in ways that we never imagined before 2001. Our world is a different place as a result of those events. In fact, God, we are fully aware that our world is in a struggle for peace and that there are the forces of evil lined up against good, honest, peace-loving people. That is best um, stated in an understanding, Lord, of it not only being a, a, a struggle of East versus West, but in many ways, a struggle of religions. And we would carry the cross of Jesus Christ boldly and proclaim that evil will not win the day. That through the cross of Christ, there is grace and peace available through, for all, for this whole world. And so, God, today we pray for families who are remembering this painful day 15 years later. We pray for our leaders, that they would have wisdom to know how to carry out the affairs of our nation. And we pray for our world, that peace would be everyone's experience. Through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a Bible, please, this morning, friends? And uh, in both rooms, there are Bibles available. And here in the West Auditorium, there are in the pew rack in front of you. In the East Auditorium, there are some people moving about with some Bibles right now, if you don't have one. would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. It's, it's a long way through Scripture, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. It's this far through. So um, we'd be glad if you'd turn to Luke chapter 15. And um, while you're turning there, it's on page 1592. He sailed the seas... In 50, he sailed the ocean blue in 1952. Eight, pardon me, I'll try it again. In 1592, I'll get it right. How horrible, right? How absolutely horrible. So while you're looking for page 1592, um, I, I want to start by telling you a story about a fellow named Glenn, otherwise known as Scotty. Wolf was his name, Glenn Wolf, known by his friends as Scotty. He died in, um, in California at age 89 some 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago in, in 1997. He died alone, but he didn't live life as a bachelor. As a matter of fact, when he died, his obituary was carried for in many papers around the country because when Scotty Wolf died, he died with, as a man of some renown. Maybe not the renown you would expect, but nonetheless a man of renown, namely, he was in the record books for um, an, a, an accomplishment no one else had paralleled in the U.S. Namely, he had been married 29 times. There's reason to die right there, right? <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't really mean it like that. Just, can you imagine 29 different weddings, the stress? Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Anyway, so he... he uh, Quite, quite a feat, if you ask me. Now, I will say this, that he had been married 28 times, and he married the last time a woman who had heard about him from Indiana, and she flew all the way up to California with one express thing uh, to marry him. Her name was Linda Essex. She went out there, and she became Mrs. Wolf. Um, the reason that she was interested in marrying him, because she too had a record. She, up until that time, had been married 22 times. So with their marriage, she moved to 23, he moved to 29, they lived together for a week, and she moved home. 
but they never got divorced. His longest marriage lasted 11 years. His shortest marriage uh, between marriage and divorce lasted for 19 days. Count them, 19 days. So, um, <laughs> incidentally, when he died, his wife, now living back in Indiana, who was responsible for his burial, they'd never divorced, refused to pay for it because she said, I really, I did it for a stunt. Well, that's a lousy reason to get married, but nonetheless, this is what, oh, I need to say one more thing. The weirdest thing, can you imagine, what, what do you think his profession was? No, he wasn't a marriage counselor. Some of you are thinking about <laughs> He was a minister. Oh, I know. What kind of church was that? One I'm not attending, I'll tell you that, but there you go. So this is what the LA Times had to say about him when he died. Glenn Scotty Wolf did one thing in life and he did it often. He married. In 89 years, he married 29 times. He married teenagers and grandmothers, farm girls and drug addicts, virgins and prostitutes, preachers and thieves, taking and shedding partners as casually as a square dancer. Do you think? Do you think? Strange, right? I can see some of your burrows of your, your, what is this? Your forehead is burrowed. Is that the right way to say it? Nonetheless, you're frowning. And you're going, what's with that? And I, I've got the same, okay, what, why? Okay, so you married once, twice, three, four. Don't you think somewhere around seven or eight times you'd go, I'm not really good at this? You'd think, you'd think, but why would you keep wanting to go and try again and you get to 15, 16, or 24 times, I've been married 24 times, let me take another run at it. Are you kidding me? All the way, why did he keep trying all the way to 29 times? looking for love, if you would get it. You know, he's got this longing. And why do we keep trying when it comes to relationships? I mean, he, he, relationships are hard, right? You get, you get dumped, we get hurt. Yet we still long for love. We're in a, in a friendship with somebody and they might stab you in the back. Does that say, do you never say that I'm never having a, another friend? No, we would normally go, well, I'll try a different person or whatever. We're all looking for love. Inside of us, there's this longing that says, I wish someone would love me and I get to love them in return. And there's that feeling, there's got to be more. That feeling awakens within us longings that lie deep within each of our souls. It, it's, 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 the, it, it's quite universal. It, it's found in the, in the stories that are written, in the art that is created, in the songs that are sung. I'm looking for love. And, 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 and you know where you go. So as a matter of fact, I want to I try a little test here with you today. In both rooms, Tyler is going to play a track, and we're, we're going we're gonna to see if you know this song, because he's going to cut the track, and I want you in both rooms to sing the line that he cuts, all right? So here comes the track at your little country song, pretty old these days. Playing a fool's game, Push it a little bit there, Tom. to win, and telling those sweet lies, and losing again. Oh, yeah. No, you got it. You know it, right? You go, I'm looking for... Some of you sing it down. I mean, everybody was singing in the lower octave on the down low. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me. And, uh, but you, you know, there's this sense, hey, there's got to be more. That familiar tune brings around this idea. There's got to be more. Yeah, we long for love. There's some other got to be mores, right? We long for purpose. Think, think back to when you were a kid. Six, five, 
eight years old, somebody had come to you and they'd say, what do you want to do in life? What do, what do you want to be when you grow up? And invariably, a little child will have an answer. Oh, I want to be, I, I, our son at that age, he wanted to be a preaching, like dad, he wanted to pr- be a preaching garbage truck hauler because he loved the way in which they got to hang off the back of the garbage truck. And he thought that was really cool. They get to hang and the, the truck goes down the, down the road. So he was going to be a preaching garbage truck driver. Maybe, maybe you want to be, a, um, maybe you be a, a, a teacher or an astronaut. Some of you wanted, when you were that age, you wanted to be, well, some of you are teenagers, you would like to be an NBA basketball star, right? A pro basketball player. Some of you are 49 years of age, you still want to be a pro basketball player. I get it. But why were you dreaming at that age when you're little? Why are you dreaming about what you want to be when you get older? Isn't it because you want to make a difference in someone else's life? You've got this, I want to do something in the world and... I mean, at that age, you're you're barely able to write your name, and yet you're already thinking about, what am I going to do when I get older? You want to accomplish something. So we long for love, we long for purpose, and we also long for meaning, for, you know, some answers to the big questions. God, if you're so good, why why did this happen? Or what's the point of my life? Where's this pain coming from? And if if suffering causes you to question God, then I want to point this out to you. The big why questions, that suffering you're experiencing, it's not just painful where you go, um, and you go, oh, it's wrong and it's unfair. There's a reason why you feel that way. God gave you those feelings. God feels the same way. He placed within you a desire to see wrongs righted and suffering to come to an end. It's all put there by God. And I have this understanding for you today. That longing... The longing for love, the longing for purpose, the longing for answers to the big questions. Those longings are experienced by all people. We're hardwired with them by God. So please understand this. As we have those longings and desires, the problem isn't that we have them. Teens that are with us today. It's not that you, there's nothing weird about you that says, man, I wish I knew what I was going to do after high school. I wish I knew who I was going to marry. I wish I knew where I was going to live. And I want to, I want to have do something about that. All of those questions are absolutely real and legitimate and right. The, The problem is not having the questions, but where do you go to find the answers? Where do we go to satisfy those longings? Well, I've got good news for you today. Just acknowledging those longings, awakening to those longings, and the truth of where they can be satisfied marks the beginning of a journey toward God. And I'd invite you to find that story with me today, how that plays out. If you'll read with me in Luke chapter 15, you'll see how these longings for love and for purpose and for the big why questions how Jesus explained it, okay? Jesus is telling a story in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. It is commonly known as the parable. It's a story that he has essentially made up. I don't know if he made it up on the spot, but here it is how he put it. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, hey, hey, dad, dad, I've got an idea. Give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, hmm, this doesn't feel right. I've got these longings. There's something that doesn't make sense. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he went, got up and went to his father. Now, this story is perhaps one of the most famous stories in all of um, literature. As I said, it's often called the prodigal son or the lost son. It's this It's the story of a young man who has this longing. He's got this, there's got to be more. I want to go looking. I want to go figure out what I'm missing. And off he goes. It's almost like he could sing the song, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. This This is his autobiographical tune, if you will, okay? But can I remind you of what's taking place here? In the context of the first century when Jesus is telling this story, Within a Middle Eastern culture, something very unusual is going on. It is extremely offensive to his dad that he's asking for his inheritance early. We would say, well, that's just not the way you do things. But in that context, 2,000 years ago, it's even more inappropriate and even more um, offensive than today because in our culture, we have this understanding that, well, as you move your way through adult life, you're supposed to accumulate enough resources so you can, if you will, take care of yourself when you get to the end of the life and when you get to be old and there's social security as well. But in that day, none of that was possible and the idea was you have children so the children will take care of you. And so basically what he's saying to his dad is, dad, I really don't care if you live or die. As a matter of fact, I kind of wish you were dead because if you were dead, I'd have all this money and I'd be, I'd be set to go do my own adventure. And so it's very offensive And we go, well, I'm never like that. But before we cast this young man aside as ungrateful and selfish, is it possible that he has said out loud what some of us feel at times? We feel like life isn't bringing us what we'd hoped for, what we'd wanted, or frankly, you know, I really deserve a lot more than what I'm getting right now. Friend, that feeling of, hey, there's got to be more. Don't I deserve more than this? That's how you, in fact, let me surprise you, how you should feel. It's not that everything, that all your desires are good. I'm not suggesting that. But the things that you have, that longing for love, that longing for purpose, that longing for answers, all those longings come from God. And this son in Jesus' story mirrors our lives. It's just Jesus puts into words, into the story, who we are. And what we think about. And what's interesting to me is how this young man acts and what's happened. It says that he was convinced he had to leave his father to find his answers and to fulfill his longings. And so it says that what what did he do? The son set off for a distant country. You know what that's like. Some here, years ago or last week, you set off for a distant country and you haven't come back yet. Oh, it may not be that you, you left Decatur, but you've, you've long ago, you checked out of here. Or perhaps there are some in the room and you're saying, hey, I'm here, but so-and-so, 
my son, my daughter, my friend, they left and they've been gone from me for a long time. I've got some good news for you today. You can come back. They can come back. Now, the story doesn't give us many details of what actually went on as he went to that distant country. Jesus just tells us the younger son, it says in verse 13, squandered his wealth in wild living. What is wild living? Hmm. I don't know what it looked like in Jesus' day. In our day, it would be, well, you know, so-and-so has left home. And uh, she's gone to Vegas, or he's gone to Amsterdam, or they went to Peoria. I don't know why Peoria would be more, I mean, I'm just, I'm not staying in Decatur. I'm doing the wild living in Peoria. Well, you know what? I don't know that you can do all that much wild living in Peoria that you can't do in Decatur. So I don't know if it's a case of distances as to headspace, right? But I, reading between the lines, wild living, what is that? Some of you know what that is. You know, it's like the binge drinking into all hours of the night, if you will, or women who are willing to satisfy this young man's every desire. But if whatever wild living is, it didn't take long for this fellow to figure out, hey, I have spent everything, my whole inheritance is gone, and my whole adventure has gone sour. The famine has struck, I have nothing to eat. So what did he do? He went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He has nothing to eat, and he's willing to eat what pigs? He's willing to eat pig slop. No one gave him anything. And think about this. This is Jewish culture. Jesus' day, Jewish people have nothing to do with swine. And in Jesus' story, he is at the lowest of the lows because he's discovered his... None of it is answered and just going and doing stuff. His longing for purpose wasn't found in partying. His why questions, why, it's why did it turn out like this? Why, why am I so lonely and broken, so empty? How did I end up in a place like this? Does that sound familiar? Because really, if you think about it, the story of the lost son is the story of all of our stories, maybe to varying degrees. For some, when you went to a distant country, it was a long way away. And when you experienced the pain, it was far worse than what this guy did. Or maybe it wasn't quite as bad or quite as far as this young man. But nonetheless, you know what the distant country is. You've gone, where will I go? to satisfy these God-given longings? and Is there any way that I can get close to God again? Well, to answer that, you know that we're beginning a new sermon series today called Finding Your Way Back to God. It's about each of us and each of us here today. For some, it's a case we're walking our way back to God. We've experienced Jesus Christ and we're coming back bit by bit by bit. For others, though, you've never even contemplated that in the past. But can I tell you today... For the first time, you can take a step toward finding your way back to God. We're doing this with 17 other churches around the city. All of us today, this weekend, preaching from Luke 15, and we'll be in this story for the next few weeks. And we've been talking through today, awakening to longing. All of the churches are doing that. Awakening to longing, recognizing our longing for love, for purpose, and meaning. That it's not satisfied by running from God, but running toward God. And in the next few weeks, we're going to experience and look at other awakenings and in doing so as a community come together and see, are there ways that all of us 
can find our way back to God. I've got a project for you in that regard that I'll tell you about. But before I tell you that, maybe to, as to introduce it, I'd like to tell you about a guy who lived a long time ago who kind of gave us the idea of this project. He's a Frenchman. His name is Blaise Pascal. That's if you're going to say it. It's the French say it. Here in America, we just say Blaise Pascal, however you want to say it, but nonetheless, okay? He, he was from the 17th century, born in the 1600s, one of the greatest minds in the intellectual minds in, the Western, in Western culture. He um, was a tremendous mathematician. He wrote treatises um, when, he was in, when he was a teenager, 15, 16 years of age, that as they were examined by universities all throughout Europe, the other math- mathematicians would go, wow, who is this man? only to discover, much to their amazement, he was 15 or 16 years of age. His dad was a tax collector for the French government, and his responsibility was to determine and figure out people's taxes and then charge them, and and people's living situations were changing all the time, and so using paper, his dad was consistently having to redo people's taxes, and so young Pascal, at 19 years of age, thought, I can fix that for my dad, and he designed and invented the first mechanical calculator making his father's job significantly easier. If you will, the first, the precursor to today's modern computers. He grew up in a home uh, where God was acknowledged, but he didn't really have, didn't really know a whole lot about God and really wasn't interested until one night, in the middle of the night, he had a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit. And uh, his journals just got joy, 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 joy written throughout it all. And that experience um, ignited a passion to help, uh, that he wanted to help others find their way to God. And so he began to challenge the other intellectuals of Western Europe to give some thought to God's influence upon their lives. And he actually developed something that we call today Pascal's Wager. It's not a mathematical formula, it's in fact a spiritual formula. He would dare these intellectuals to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. This was his wager, basically. Make a bet there's a God who loves you. If you are right, you have everything to gain. And if you are wrong, you have nothing to lose. Make a bet that God is real. In other words, he would say, take some time and just live your life as if God is real and watch what happens. Well, I would like to do something similar for you today. Maybe not in that same way, but something very similar. Namely, I have an assignment for you. You might want to write this down. You might want to write it on today at the back of today's program or put it on your cell phone. You can text it to yourself. You can have your family text it to you if you will. In order. I want you to take a risk. I want you to pray. If it's not a common practice, you can step into it. It may seem awkward at first, but I invite you to give, a try, give it a try. If you're, new, if you're regular in, involved in prayer, that's fine. But here's what I'd like you to do. For the next week, pray this sentence. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. You want to write that down? Take a picture of this. Here, I'll, I'll smile while you take a picture of the screen. <laughs> God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the ability to see what's missing, that you're what's missing in my life. For those of you who are not walking with God, that's a really big wager, isn't it? God, I'm going to live my life for the next seven days as if you were real. I want, you to, I want to see what happens. For those of you who are walking toward God and you're saying, I want to do everything I can to experience God, then same thing. God, I've got these longings within me that, you, that I'm, I'm learning are placed there by you. Help me to manage those. God, if you were real, 
I believe you are. Make yourself real to me. Now, we're going to help you in this throughout the next few days. Uh, what we're going to do three times this week, if you would like to participate in this, we're going to send out a text alert service, uh, we, a text that we have through our text alert service that is going to prompt you to think about this again. And all you have to do is, um, if you already signed up, you don't have to do this again um, because you already signed up. But the, you have to text the word First Decatur, one word, F-I-R-S-T Decatur, First Decatur to this number, 24587. 24587. Put that on, text that from your phone. And three times this week, you're going to get a text alert saying, hey, think about this, think about this. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And we're going to just help you to do what Pascal encouraged the intellectuals of Europe to do. Take a run at it. Don't be like Glenn Wolf and take another run at marriage, you know, to get to 29 times. That's not what I was suggesting. Instead, take a run at, hey, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Now, within the context of how we do that here at First Christian Church, um, I'd like to explain something to you. Maybe if you're visiting with us today and you've, you're not familiar with how church goes, we, we do something around here each week that somehow or other within the context of what's taking place in this service, we always want to be certain that people understand it's all because of Jesus Christ that we gather. It's all because of Jesus Christ that we're able to say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me, and God does that. So we, um, we remember each and every week that Jesus died for us. So if you're unfamiliar with how that works, let me s s explain it to you. We know that Jesus was alive and that at age 30 or so, he began a ministry that lasted some three years or so. He gathered around him a group of 12 really close, intimate followers. They were known as his disciples. And um, one night, he got them all together, and he did something that we do each and every week that we're about to do right now. We call it communion. Um, sometimes you've heard of this. It's referred to as the Last Supper. And here's how it went. Uh, they're all around the table together, and um, Jesus says to them, hey, um, I need to tell you something. Scripture says that on the night he was betrayed, that very night, this is less than 24 hours before his death, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had broken, he said, this is my body broken for you. In other words, he said, you don't realize this, but, but there's coming a time real quickly when my body is going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dead. What do you mean? What does that mean? Well, and then after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus, what's that going on there? Well, there's wine inside that cup. And he said, it's symbolic of what's going to happen to me. My blood is going to be, it's going to pour out of me. And as it comes out, it's going to be a covering for all of your sins. For all of the curses of humanity are going to be covered by this. And forgiveness is going to be available. This new promise I make to you, this new covenant, it's a word for promise, that you're not going to struggle anymore to get to know God. I'm going to forgive you. This blood is going to be your forgiveness before God. And so the Bible says that whenever we eat and whenever we drink, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. And so I'd like to invite you to participate in this. We're going to eat some small wafers. We're going to drink from a cup. And we're going to remember that Jesus died for us. Would you pray with me right now, please? God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that there are, in the midst of the questions we have, um, we're able to say, Lord, help us to figure out how you want our lives to go, how you want us to really manage what you, the longings that you've placed within us.
We long for love. We long for purpose. We, 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 want, we want to have you engaged in the big questions of life because they're real and they're honest and sometimes, Lord, they're just downright raw, filled with a lot of pain and anguish. We thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to answer those questions. We're willing to pray, God, we think you're real, we believe you're real, and make yourself real to us. I pray for people here today, God. Those who are far off from you, draw them to you through the work of Jesus Christ. May they be willing to pray a prayer that simply says, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. I rely on the work of Jesus Christ for his blood to cover my sin. And Lord, while they may not understand all the theological ramifications of that, they're relying on you. And then, Lord, for those of us who are walking with you, we pray, God, that you would continue through this act together, continue to enable us to know who you are and to take the longings that we have within us and to see them be used and, and directed in your way in the best way possible. We pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord, our leader and forgiver, Jesus Christ, who taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.